Well, hey, welcome to Asante Church. My name is Alex Dennis, and uh, I have the honor and the privilege to be one of the pastors here. And uh, man, it's so good to be back. Spent last weekend in Texas meeting with some partner churches, um, getting some coaching, getting some mentoring, and man, spending some time with the Lord and uh, just ready, ready to be back with you guys. Excited to be back with you guys and excited to dive in to this new series called Spiritual Things. Um, as you will see, this entire thing, we're just ripping off every idea we could from Stranger Things, which is an awesome show on Netflix if you are above the age of 16 uh, or if your parents are cool with you watching it. Uh, but excited to dive into the unseen realm, into spiritual warfare with you guys. And so, Really, what I want us to kind of take away from this is to realize that there is an unseen side to life. What would you do if I told you that right now, in this moment, there is a war being waged all around us? That there are angels and demons battling each other right this second? And that this has been the case since the beginning of time. And not only that, but we don't just sit idly by in this battle. We don't just sit idly by in this spiritual war and these spiritual things that are taking place, but we have been given a part to play in it. I think there are probably three different places you could come back from that, from this realization. I think the first response that we could have is fear. What do I do with this information? If this is true, which hopefully by the end of, the, the end of today, you will see that, yes, this is fact, this is based out of God's word, that this is true, hopefully you don't respond this first way, which is out of fear, which is this is absolutely terrifying. And so I'm either going to not believe it or I'm going to pull an ostrich and I'm going to put my head in the ground and I'm going to hide from it. Or you could go the route of disbelief. Like there's no way that this could be true. And I would say that that is probably one of the best tactics of the enemy, the opposing side in this spiritual warfare, in this spiritual battle, is for you to disbelieve it. Because if you disbelieve it, then you are, you are leaving yourself open to attack. But there is a third response, and that is a response of acceptance. And that is if I find myself in a war, if I find myself in battle, caught up in a fight, I've got to learn to put my armor on. I've got to learn how to pick up my sword. I've got to learn how to swing my sword. I've got to learn how to fight. You see, the spiritual realm, spiritual warfare, it is real, and the effects of it are real on our lives. When we look at Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, Paul says, for, we, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. That means that we walk in the physical realm where we can perceive things with our senses. That is not all there is to life. We do not wage war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Strongholds set up in the mind, strongholds in the spiritual realm, the realm that we can't see. Verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see, the truth is we were born into a world that is at war. And this war takes place in the spiritual, unseen realm. If you have seen Stranger Things, there is something in Stranger Things called the Upside Down. And so you've got your team of misfit teenagers. You've got Eleven. Uh, you've got Sheriff Hopper, like one of the greatest characters of any TV show ever. Um, and in 
Hawkins, they're good because they can see things, they can perceive things. Based off of their senses, they know how to operate in that zone. But there is an upside down. And the upside down is a realm that there's a thin veil between that they could enter into. Where these things that happen in the upside down, it looks just like Hawkins, but ruled by darkness, filled with struggle. And the things that happen there seep over into the right side up. The same is true for the spiritual realm. It is not something that we have the ability to perceive, but it is an invisible realm that is parallel to ours, where angels and demons, just like we said already, are battling it out for the influence over people, for our souls, for our eternal well-being, for our minds. We are a part of an invisible war. And in this war, God wants us to have the minds of Christ. We just came out of the book of Philippians, the letter of Philippians from Paul to the church in the Philippines. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Philippi. Thank you, guys. The whole purpose of that letter was to get across this overarching idea of, hey, we need to have the minds of Christ. And in the minds of Christ, that means we humble ourselves. That means we put others' uh, preferences, needs, desires, wants. We put all of that before us, and we lower ourselves below them, and we love them, and we serve them so that we can then share the gospel with them, win them to Christ. And so what does God want? God wants us to have the minds of Christ. What does the enemy want? What is his strategy in this invisible world? Well, what the enemy wants is our minds to be on anything else. He doesn't necessarily just want to possess everybody that doesn't follow Jesus. I'm sure that would be very convenient for him. But if he can just distract you, I think that's probably enough. And I think there's a lot of us that have been living lives of being distracted, not focused on Jesus, not living our lives to be more like Jesus, not submitting our lives to him, not going after the things that God wants for our lives, and we have just been distracted, and we've been playing into the enemy's hands. Now, over the course of the series today, we'll take a, an introduction into spiritual warfare. Next week, we'll talk about our enemy. We'll talk about his tactics, his strategies that he uses against us, and, and how we can further the fight and the battle. The third week, it's going to be, uh, we're going to have all the kids in here. It's going to be full family worship. Don't worry, we're, we're talking about angels that week, okay? <laughs> I know you think, I don't always think things through, and that's absolutely correct, but <laughs> my daughters are going to be in here, and I, I want them to sleep at night, so we'll make sure that we are good there. Now, spiritual warfare, as the Bible depicts it, is not often how the world depicts it. Uh, if you grew up like me, watching Looney Tunes or the Animaniacs, you've got a devil on one shoulder, you've got an angel on the other shoulder, and that's about the extent of spiritual warfare as we see it. And there is a, an idea to that that is true, and that is that, that there is influence to be had, whether it's from the good side or the bad side. But I think there's also another strategy that the world has and that the enemy uses, and that's that it's just not real. That this is just a, a, a silly spiritual fairy tale meant to keep us as good, behaving boys and girls. It's just moral correction. But the spiritual world, the unseen realm, the war that is going on all around us is a reality that we must face. John 10.10, 10. John writes, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill 
and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. We live in a world at war. We are caught up in this world that is at war. And who is our opposer? It's the enemy, the thief, the devil, Satan. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to ruin everything that is good about your life. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your character, your reputation in the workplace. He wants to destroy your faith. He wants to sow nothing but seeds of doubt within your mind so that he can have the upper hand when it comes to your life. But what does Jesus want? Jesus wants us to have life and to have it abundantly. This means full life. Nothing shallow, but something that is deep. Something that can withstand attack. Something that can withstand emotions that go up and down. Something that can withstand a hard season at work or a hard season in family or a season of loss. So, what we see is the battle rages on. So, we're in a battle. We are in a spiritual war. What do we do before we go into battle? What do football players do before they go into a football game? What do police officers do before they go out on duty? They put on armor, they put on padding, and they prepare to fight. That's exactly what Paul instructs us to do when it comes to the spiritual war we find ourselves in, in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. He writes to the church in Ephesus, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, the age we are in, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, the unseen realm. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. In the battle, God is our strength got your connect card, if you're taking notes this morning, if you got your phones out, you're taking notes with me, our first point this morning is in the battle, God is our strength. Where does our strength come from? It comes from the Lord. We see in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This means that we have no supernatural power on our own. And we are finding ourselves in the middle of a supernatural battle. And so without the strength of the Lord, we have no way that we can fight. What happens? What happens in our life when things go wrong? Who do we go to? Well, in the flesh, I know our tendency is to go to somebody else. 
hey, this is what's going on in my life. And we try to lend and we try to leech from the, the strength of other people. That's natural. We don't want to take this before God. We feel ashamed. We don't want to take this before God. We're, we're not really sure he can handle it. We don't want to take this before God. We have never prayed in our lives. We don't want to take this before God. Our faith isn't strong enough. What does it say? That our strength comes from the Lord. So we go to God. If we continue to go to other people, then we are seeking physical strength, not spiritual strength, not supernatural strength for a supernatural battle. If we continue to do that, if we continue to go to other people instead of God for the things that pop up in our life that are results of the battle that we find ourselves in, we are going to ruin those relationships. They are not built to give us the things that only God can give us. We are going to seek and seek and seek from other people validation, our identity, whatever it is that needs to, we need to make us feel better in that moment from all these people around us. And they are created. And we are seeking something that only comes from the creator. So we go to God. We strengthen our relationship with him and we stay away from damaging the relationships around us. We see that his strength comes through prayer. In verse 19, we'll come back to that in a little bit. Who are we fighting against? We see that in verses 11 and 12. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Again, this is not against each other. This is against a spiritual aspect, a spiritual entity in a realm that we cannot even perceive. This is against the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So who do we war against? It's not your crazy neighbor. It's not your spouse. And I know, I know for you guys that are married in here, sometimes it feels like it's your spouse. It's not your kids. I know sometimes it feels like they might be demon-possessed, and they are just doing everything they can to work against you. It's not your boss. It's not the people in your workplace. The people, the things that we are fighting against are the devil. It's his armies, and it is the schemes that he has plotted against us to win influence over our minds, to distract us from the Lord, and to get us off the path of righteousness. And it's not just him. But we go to war against his armies. We go to war against the rulers, against the authorities, the cosmic powers, the spiritual forces of evil. There is a ranking to the system uh, that we are opposing in this battle. This is like uh, if you watch the Avengers. You had phase one of Marvel where all the superheroes were kind of coming together. You had phase two. You had, you know, they started to fight together. They became the Avengers. They became a team. And then they eventually took on Thanos. Well, you can kind of put that in the upside down as well. You can flip that on its head. We fight against not just the devil. We fight against the unholy Avengers. This is something that we should take seriously. But this is not something that we should be trembling in fear about. Because when it comes to the devil, the devil is not like God. He is created. He is fallen. He is limited in power. He is not all-powerful like our God. He is not all-knowing. He cannot read your mind. Now, the enemy, the devil, he has been around for a long time. He can perceive. He can read uh, body language. He can read human behavior. He can infer a lot of things, but he cannot read your mind. Neither can the demons in his army. 
He is limited in power. He is not all-knowing, and he is not able to be everywhere at once. You know who is able to do all of those things? God. God is all-powerful. You want to know something else about the devil? He has been defeated, and he was defeated on the cross. He was defeated when love took the cross. The battle, the victory was won for us when Jesus died on the cross. And on the third day, he rose. And you know what he rose? He was victorious over? He was victorious over the enemy. The enemy probably thought he had won. Man, Jesus is in the grave. Guess what? That grave was empty. Not only did he defeat the enemy, he defeated death, and he defeated sin, and he defeated the enemy's power to enslave us and influence us when we give our lives to him. Our King Jesus reigns victoriously. And as Paul writes to the church in Colossae, in Colossians 2, 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So in Jesus, we have no need to fear the opposing darkness. Instead, through his victory, we can stand against that darkness. Verse 13, why do we put on this armor? Uh, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm we need this armor because we fight a supernatural enemy and if we are fighting a supernatural battle that means that we need a supernatural defense trying our best doing this in our own strength is not going to cut it anymore this is not something that takes place in the physical realm anything that is physical is not going to make it it has to be spiritual it has to come from god and so our second point this morning is that we armor up and we stand firm we armor up and we stand firm soldiers before they go to war they put on armor and it is the power that is in that armor that it has the ability to protect them. But I think for so many of us, we have charged into battle wearing our slippers, wearing our robes, wearing our PJs, with a couch pillow in hand, thinking that, man, it's really going to take on this day. And that's kind of the realm that we are forced to fight out of. That is the reality we're forced to fight out of if we do not take spiritual warfare seriously, if we do not put on the armor, if we continue to believe that this isn't something that affects us, that's how we're going to continue to run into battle. And that's not how we were designed to do it. Throughout Scripture, the Bible depicts us as robed. It depicts us as robed in white and in the presence of God, but that is always when we are in the presence of God. That is never on this side of the story. That is in when we have passed from this life and we are with God. And so we are not robed. We are not defenseless. Instead, in this life, we are always armored up. We always have the armor of God on. We train in it. We eat in it. We sleep in it. We stand firm in it. And we know that the next attack from the enemy is always right around the corner. So let's take off our Snuggies, okay? Let's put on the armor of God. Let's break that down. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace in all circumstances, take up the shield of the faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, this whole armor of God. 
This comes from a Greek word, and hopefully I get this right, because I know we've got some scholars in here. Panoplion. I'm not going to say it again, because that's just more of a chance I'll get that wrong. But (laughs) what it means is that we are heavily armed soldiers with the armor of God. This is forged by God. This is furnished to us by God. Over and over in the Old Testament, God is depicted as a, as a warrior. He's depicted as fighting to vindicate his people. And in Isaiah 59, 17, it says this, He put on a righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And so the armor that we are using is literally God's. He is saying, I have used this before and I am lending this to you. Why? Because you are going to be attacked Why? Because you are in a fight. Why? Because you are going to need to go on the offensive. So put this armor on. And now, in a New Testament context, we can put that on. And as Paul writes this, maybe you're trying to put yourself in in the place where Paul is writing from. Paul is surrounded by Roman soldiers. He would have had many examples of what a fully suited up warrior, a soldier, looks like. As he is pinning this, he is chained by the wrist to a Roman guard. Probably not just fully suited up as he's on house arrest, but a Roman guard nonetheless. And so being surrounded with such great examples of this armor, he breaks it down for us. And he says, put on the belt of truth. And I'm just thinking this is like the biggest WWE belt in the world, okay? Not all for show, but this thing lends itself to core support. This belt of truth holds up and stabilizes other pieces of armor. It helps bear the weight of the breastplate of righteousness that we're about to read about. And in doing so, we realize that it is not all on us. It is not in our strength, but it is on the truth of God. And every other piece of armor is absolutely useless without the belt of truth. Then we have the breastplate of righteousness, and righteousness being the upright living that aligns to the expectations of God. The belt of truth carries our weight in pursuing righteousness. It holds our breastplate of righteousness in place. Again, it takes the load off of our shoulders. The truth produces righteousness. And this breastplate of righteousness that we put on, it guards our vital organs. It guards the places that we are most likely to be attacked. And one of the places we are attacked time after time after time as believers is our heart. And Proverbs 4.23 says that is the source of life. So put on the belt, put on the breastplate, and put on the shoes of the gospel. Now these shoes, they're based off of this half boot of the Roman soldier. It left your toes free. It's like, a, like half of a Nike, okay? Your toes are free. Uh, you have Plenty of room to move around, but you are also ready for action. It has spikes, it has cleats on the bottom of the boot to keep them steady on any surface. And it is in this that we see that the gospel gives us firm footing when everything else in life is falling apart. And it is with the gospel that we not only stand firm, but that we move forward, that we advance with it. And then we have our shield of faith. And we take up the shield of faith Beside all the other pieces of, of armor, Paul writes, having put on these things, pick up this thing. So we don't just stand naked behind a shield. No, we are already armored up, and now we have this shield beside us. Because faith protects us from what the enemy wants for us. What does the enemy want for us? He wants false guilt. 
He wants everything in our lives that we do not want in the Spirit. He wants doubt. He wants disobedience. He wants rebellion. He wants lust. He wants malice. And he wants fear. And he will send every single one of these things flying into your life like a fiery dart, like a fiery arrow. So believer, pick up the shield of faith. Now these fiery arrows, they weren't often meant to be the kill shot. If they were, great. But what they were meant to do more often than not is just be a distraction. Now I've got something that is on fire that is stuck to me. And again, one of the main strategies of the enemy is to keep us distracted because then we cannot focus on the battle that is at hand. And then we have our helmet of salvation, usually made up of some kind of tough metal like bronze or an iron. Uh, It was lined with felt or sponges, great use for sponges, so that it made the weight a little bit more bearable. It didn't make it quite so uncomfortable, but it was incredibly difficult to pierce through. And in the helmet of salvation, we see that only in salvation can our minds and our souls be protected from the enemy. It protects our identity in Christ. Our salvation does. So that we know that we are sons and that we are daughters of the king and we operate out of that and out of nothing else. It ensures, Philippians 2.5, that we have the minds of Christ. That we continue loving and serving others with lowly service over and over and over again, that we can love them, that we can meet a need, that we can meet their greatest need, which is their spiritual need for Jesus. And then salvation in Romans 12, 1 through 2, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds when we submit all of ourselves to the feet of Jesus, and we ask him to transform us. Jesus, take my broken, hurt, trauma-filled way of thinking. I give it to you and restore it. And after you have restored it, re purpose it. We continuously submit our thinking to God. Now, every single one of those was defensive. Now we move into the offensive. And I know all my fellows in the house getting real excited. We get to swing some swords now, okay? And I brought some with me, and we'll practice after church today. So the sword of the Spirit, and this is the only piece that can be used for an attack. This isn't, the shield isn't some kind of Captain America shield where you're just throwing it around and it's bouncing off bad guys and it comes back to you. You got a kill count of 20. No, it was a wall. And so now we have a sword. And this sword is thought to be small, a double-sided dagger, perfect for close hand-to-hand combat. And the sword is the word of God. It is the book of the Bible. It is the message. It is the spoken word of God. It is the testimony of our salvation. And we use the word of God to resist temptation, just as we saw Jesus do. But we also use it to pierce through the hardest heart, through the hardest conscience of someone else. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So believer, Put on your armor. Do not leave yourself defenseless to the enemy anymore. Every morning you wake up, put your armor on. Actually, you know what? You Just sleep in it. Just all the time. Got bad dreams? Put the armor on before you go to bed. Just make sure you wash it out every now and then. Air it out and put it back on. It'll get a little smelly. It's all right. It should be. It should be well used. It should be well versed. You should do this every single day so that we do not leave ourselves open to an attack. And then, in the battle, 
Third and final point this morning, we pray hard. We pray hard. How do we fight? We see in verses 18 through 20, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, all the believers, and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. See, I think, church, we've been fighting all wrong. When we are confronted with conflict, we go toe-to-toe with whoever or whatever it is in front of us. Whether that's a person, whether that's a loved one, whether that's a wall, I don't know what it is. I know we can get mad and we can be idiots sometimes. Our kids, they're not our enemy. Our spouses, they're not our enemy. Our coworkers, our bosses, they are not our enemy. Our enemy is Satan. Our enemy is the devil. Our enemy are his unholy avengers. They're set against us. And so the problems that we have with each other aren't just something that stemmed from the physical realm, but something that has manifested itself from the spiritual realm, from the unseen realm, from the heavenly places. Our enemy has strategies against us, and he is influencing us to go against each other. He is gearing us towards disunity. So, if our enemy isn't physical, then that means that we can't fight him physically. We have to fight him spiritually. And so what do we do? We pray. Verse 18 says, Be watchful in prayer, always praying in the Spirit, not praying out of the flesh, not praying selfishly for our own selves, but sacrificially in the Spirit for the sake of others, aligning ourselves to the will and the righteousness of God and always on guard. I think if we were to look at our lives, we would probably see the conflict in our lives, the tensions that rise up, the arguments that we have, and probably very rarely do we stop and we address those in prayer. Very rarely do we address that in prayer before it ever actually happens. But instead, we go in with our armor off, ready to just be taken out, unprepared, in the flesh, not in the spirit, ready to say whatever it is that we've rehearsed and not what it is that God has put on our hearts or taken out of our mouths. And so we pray. We go on the offensive against the enemy and we pray, always communicating to God what our needs are, always communicating to God what the needs are of the other saints, the other believers around us, because we know that they are in battle as well. We pray for those that are also on the offense. We pray that they would have the words that God needs them to have so that they can go out with the gospel because every time we share the gospel, every time we share the good news of Jesus, that we were sinners who were not able to come into the presence of God because we were dirty. And then God, because he loved us so much, sent his one and only son to die on the cross for us so that we could be made clean. And Jesus, in his obedience to the Father and wanting to honor him and give him glory, gave his life. He came down, he lived a perfect life, fully God and fully man. And he became the perfect sacrifice for us so that we could be made clean and then stand before God. And so we make Jesus our Lord and we trust in him. We submit our lives to him. He becomes our master. We say, not my way, but your way. And we repent of our sin so that we might be forgiven. 
so that we don't have to spend an eternity with the wrong side of this battle in hell, but so that we can spend an eternity with God in heaven in his presence and in his love. Ultimately, this war has two outcomes, and it is heaven and it is hell. And we fight against those forces every single day. And so we want to share the gospel with other people. We don't want to just spend time and hang out with people. We don't want to just love them to hell. We want to open our mouths. And as we are meeting their needs and as we are loving them and being Christ-like in their lives, we share the gospel with them. And we are praying for our friends and our church members and our fellow believers here as they go out and they do the same because God has called us to a community that we don't want to see die and go to hell. But we want to see put their faith and their trust in Jesus. So we pray. And we go on the offensive in prayer, and then we share the gospel. And we go on offensive with the cleats and the spikes in our shoes with the gospel of peace as we move forward. This morning, I want to offer you a time to pray. So we're going to get real hippy-dippy here in a little bit, but don't worry. We're going to switch back to being Baptist the next song after that, okay? <laughs> we're going to have communion here in a second. And I want us to reflect on the things we need for forgiveness from. I want us to reflect on the cross and the sacrifices of Jesus as Ralph leads us in communion. But after that, I want to have a time of reflection where we can think about all the things that God has done for us. We can think about all the things that we need to pray about for ourselves and for other people. And I'll be down here in the front if you need to pray with me. Starting next week, we'll have a team that will fill up the front. We'll go down the sides. We'll go down the back. And if you need to pray with somebody, for yourself or for someone else, we will be here to do that with you. So we're going to go into a time of communion, remember the cross, and then we're going to worship God, and we're going to have a time of reflection. Then we're going to go into another song, and then we're all going to stand up like it wasn't planned, okay? It's going to be great. Before we do, let me pray for us. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we need you because we are in a battle that we cannot fight on our own. Jesus, you are victorious. Jesus, you are risen. And Jesus, in you and only in you is our battle won because of your work on the cross. We can only have victory in our lives because you had victory over sin, over death, and over the enemy. Jesus, this morning, wake us up to the battle that is around us. Help us to see that the things that go astray, the things that are off, the opposition that we come across in life is not just something that happens. It's not just a, a physical realm thing, but this is something that was plotted and planned and put into place in the spiritual realm. And help us to be a church that takes this serious and goes to you in the spiritual realm that falls on our knees before you and asks you to move in our lives, that asks you to move in the lives of others. Jesus, help us to be watchful. Help us to put on your armor, God, that you have put on loan to us until we come to be with you when the enemy is defeated once and for all. And Father, let us be bold in the gospel. Let us be bold in prayer. Let us fight in a way in the spiritual realm where the enemy loses ground in our lives in our struggles, in our temptations, in our addictions, in our homes, in our families, in the way that we raise our kids, in the way that we love our family members, in this school, in our, in our neighborhoods, and in this community. 
Let us be a church that prays, that shares the gospel, and fights and fights well. Protected in your armor, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.